Welcome to Headliners, the podcast. This is the paper review that won't put you to sleep. You can catch us live every night from 11 on GB News with a panel of top-notch comedians going through the biggest stories hitting the next day's papers. But don't worry, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Headliners. I'm Mark Dolan and welcome to Headliners, a first look at tomorrow's papers in the company of two top comedians this evening, Miriam Elia and Leo Kurz. Great to have both of you with us. Let's kick off with a look at tomorrow's front pages. And we start with the Daily Mail. Interesting uh, front page headline, Charles attacks appalling Rwanda scheme. Prince Charles speaks privately about his anger, claims of past tension with the prime minister and judge rules that the migrant plane can fly. All of these stories will be addressed by Leo and Miriam very shortly. The Telegraph next. PM's plan to grow for Britain. Farmers urged to put more resources into fruit and vegetables to help ease the cost of living and the food threat from the Ukraine war. Boris Johnson there photographed patting a cow, which I guess is the political equivalent of kissing a baby. <laughs> next up, The Guardian. PM's food strategy, a huge missed opportunity. No mention of sugar tax or plans to reduce meat and dairy in leaked paper. FT Johnson snubs food shakeup in bid to keep right-wingers on side. And the highest US inflation in four decades piles pressure on the Fed to tighten hard when it comes to uh, US monetary policy. The Times next. Charles, flying migrants to Rwanda is appalling. The Prince speaks out before the Commonwealth Summit. Judge rules that first deportations can go ahead, preventing, I suspect, a constitutional crisis. The Daily Express, rush for last minute staycation bookings as flight misery hots up. Let's stay home. Surge in UK holidays as travel chaos bites. Last but not least, uh, the star. Britney Spears' ex-hubby crashes singer's big day. Britney Spears married Sam Asari in a star-studded bash that was gate-crashed by her first husband, Jason Alexander. The wedding sinner is the headline. Not a good look from her ex. <laughs> and those are your front pages. So many good stories to get through. Leo, let's start with Saturday's Guardian and a win for the government regarding Rwanda. Yes, yeah, so there was, uh, there was a... a, a a legal claim brought against the government to try and stop them deporting uh, migrants, illegal migrants have crossed the channel to Rwanda. Uh, but a High Court judge has ruled that the plane can take off. So lawyers were acting for the asylum seekers uh, and argued that the policy was unlawful and sought uh, the urgent injunction to stop next week's planned flight and any other such flights ahead of a full hearing of the case. Uh, but, the, but the judge uh, refused to grant interim relief. Uh, so yeah, this he supports the government. Um, and you know the, the plane will take off. So uh, this is because I mean, the, the government's Rwanda plan came in because we've got um, asylum seekers illegally crossing uh, the channel to yeah, seek asylum. Well, they're fleeing. They're fleeing. They're fleeing. They're fleeing a hellhole called France. Um, <laughs> well, now you put it like that. Traumatized. They've been tra traumatized. Please continue to. 
trample all over my punchlines, Mark. That'd be great. Uh, they're traumatised by bad service and dog poo on the pavement. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it'd be nice. I don't know. I know. I've seen the photos. I've seen the footage of the the boats coming across. And uh, it'd be nice if they brought some women and children with them. If they're fleeing these <laughs> war-torn countries, why are they leaving the children to fight the war? It just, just seems unfair. Seems like... um, and Britain is a high immigration country and we're fine with it. Like 15% of the British population was born overseas. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the problem is that illegal immigration is incredibly dangerous. They come across in, uh, in little dinghies. Mm -hmm. yeah. And we know that the only safe way to cross the channel is uh, smothering yourself in <laughs> goose fat and uh, being a celebrity doing it for comic relief. <laughs> but, You're uh, wearing goose fat tonight, though, I was told. Only from the waist down. I did wonder what the <laughs> smell was. I did feel, we hugged, didn't we, before we came on air? You did feel slippery. I mean, the bottom line is, that, and, and forgive the interruption, but, but this is the point that you made, which is that the law is being broken here. We, we seem mm. to be forgetting that. That yeah. you're not allowed to enter countries illegally. No, and, and you I have don't to think kind of enter them legally. Many territories like that tolerate that. My grandparents did, and my dad did. Yeah. And my mum did. Well, and this is a, a point, isn't it, that this is bad news for genuine. Yeah. Asylum seekers. Yeah. Who are I fleeing just, tyranny. You know, you have to have some kind of control in check. Exactly. I, I, that's the emotionalism of fleeing tyranny. I get that. I mean, you know, I come from a background of everyone fleeing tyranny. I do get that. But there's a way of doing it kind of, you know, legitimately. I don't think going to decathlon is the best the best way. That is kind of dangerous, isn't it? So it's you were telling me that they, they have sold out of dinghies at decathlon. Um, is, is that true? They, or they've been forbidden from selling them or something. Yeah. yeah. But it just seems a bit ridiculous as a way to do it. There, mm. there must be kind of an easier way of doing something well, well, legally. The, the issue, Miriam, is that we do not have the cooperation of the French. I think that's yeah. at, at the root of this issue, mm -hmm. isn't it? Because it's from French soil that these right. individuals are leaving. Okay, yeah. Um, and the French have their own They're kind navy. of putting them in jeopardy, really, aren't they? Cause yeah. And, and I suspect the reason why the French will tolerate this is because it's bad for Britain and they, they understandably... And they like yeah, they don't have our <laughs> oh. best interests. I mean, I don't know, I'm being, I'm being a bit sort of francophobic here. Well, Brexit, because of Brexit... It's got to be something phobic. You can't put a sentence yeah, together, can you? It's one of the better ones, francophobia. <laughs> francophobia. Because of Brexit, um, I mean, there's no incentive for European countries to help Britain and, you know, the... the France slightly wants to punish Britain for, for leaving the does. EU. Yeah. So, uh, you know, they used to, um, you know, help contain uh, migrants and stop them reaching reaching Calais and stop them leaving uh, to, to cross the, the channel in the dinghy, you know, pure, purely from a safety point of view, because it is a very dangerous crossing. Yeah. And I, I genuinely do feel for these men because, you know, they obviously want to get to Britain. Um, you know, for all that people say they're not asylum seekers, they are seeking a, a better life. Right. Even if they're not, you know, they are fleeing France, but they're seeking a better a better life and, and work mm. and all the rest of it. I mean, I think it's, a, it's an open secret that if you, if you get to France and you're still trying to cross the channel to get to Britain, it's, it's not to do with uh, fleeing war, it's because you want uh, you want to work and you want, want a better life. So. I mean, it's a shame that you know they, they can't get they can't um, get here. But eighty five thousand illegal migrants every year, and that's just the that's just the ones we, and, and we the know thing about. Is, by all means, you know, accommodate any number of people, but we just need to have a procedure. We need to know need who to, they are, yeah. and it's not encouraging if many of these individuals throw their mobile phones and papers into the water as they cross the channel. That's yeah. a bit fishy. Yeah, that's like Rebecca Vardy's <laughs> agent. <laughs>
Yeah, you're right there. That's, that's, that's another great injustice, isn't it? Which I'm sure we'll come to on a future occasion. Uh, well, let's move on now to our next story. Mm. And this is in Saturday's Mail, and it looks like more bad news for commuters, Miriam. Yes, so the um, the rail unions uh, decided to go on strike again, um, and that might disrupt the Commonwealth Games that's coming up because they want to go on strike. Every cloud? All the way through July and August. Mm. I mean, they struck on Monday and I couldn't get to work. Uh, that was just in London, except for the Elizabeth line, which was good. Um, so the unions have basically, you know, tightened their grip and they're threatening the Prime Minister and he's not giving in. And we'll see what happens. Um, I, I didn't read into the what Croydon Tramlink are doing, but um, they're angry and they want more pay and a better life. A bit like the... Migrants coming over. I mean, <laughs> they just want true. a better life. It is true, but not too, many, not too many illegals driving trains <laughs> in Croydon. Oh, actually, uh, I, I wouldn't hold my breath. But but here's the thing, Miriam. Yeah. Um, I'm sure about? that the rail workers have an argument that yeah. they would like more money because yeah. we have high inflation, which reduces the, the value of your income. Yeah, we're all in that boat, though, aren't we? That's the thing. And, and of course, inflation is high. Mm -hmm. any, any pay rises would come out of borrowing, mm -hmm. which would feed inflation, yes. which feels to me a bit like economic... A bit like what, like an, a, a little snake eating its own tail. Exactly, or, or yeah. economics quicksand. Yes. So I think they're making a mistake then. Mm. So, I mean, what, what, uh, what is not, the answer? It just, it just doesn't feel like now is the right time to do that kind of thing. Yeah. Do you think it's a case of read the room, folks? Read the room, yeah. Yeah. So just, just get off your high horse a bit. Leo, is there an opportunity politically for the Prime Minister to make a test case out of this battle with the, with the uh, RMT in the way that Thatcher did with miners in the early 1980s? And what, like try and stop them legally from having a strike? Yeah. Yeah, I mean... More hardline measures, legislation. Yeah, I mean, I suppose. Can he, can he really do that? I mean, he's tried to put through a lot of legislation that, that hasn't got to, to change, you know, he's tried to change parliamentary uh, conduct rules and all the rest of it. So, you know, I don't know if this is the time to be changing legislation, but maybe they could appeal to, to the good nature of the people who work for train companies Goodness. whose average salary <laughs> is £44,000 oh, a year. Yeah, yeah. So it's not like they're... Yeah, it's and not like they're and this is an interesting... They're Mike, not Mike and 16... Lynch. Sorry, the, the, the head of the union is on £125,000 a year. Right. Nice work if you can get it. <laughs> yep. So it's not, you know, they're not starving, are they? But, it, but this is, I mean, I, I mentioned it earlier uh, in the show that, that Margaret Thatcher would have probably stood up to these unions. In fact, she did when she was in power. What's changed? This is still a conservative. Well, there's uh, there's record low unemployment at the moment, so uh, mm. I mean workers have got a huge amount of power. Yes. They're just they've got a lot of leverage because where are you going to get more workers from? Unless right. you know some of the people coming over the channel can drive a train, where are you going to get more workers from? So I mean this this is this is one of the upsides of uh, of, of Brexit. We wanted uh, we wanted you know less or downward pressure on wages by having just an unlimited supply of workers. Mm. But that means you've got to pay workers right and treat them well. Yeah. And uh, workers know that. And it seems unfair because, you know, the taxpayer bailed out rail companies to the tune of £16 billion during, uh, during um, lockdown. Um, so, yeah, and a lot, a lot of them were on furlough. And now and people were, Tesco workers, for example, supermarket workers, were having to work throughout lockdown to, to pay... This furlough, and now you know these uh, rail workers who are overall, you know, pretty well paid above yeah. the above the national average. Yeah. Um, they're now you know rattling the tin and asking for more money, which seems a little unfair. But 
Do they have the leverage? Do they have the power to do it? Well, we'll see. Yeah, and the civil service union are threatening strike action over cuts, which will see uh, the reduction of 91,000 positions. That's uh, maybe not a bad thing. Why, why is that happening? Because apart from the fact that we're, uh, you know, we've got a deficit in which more money is going out than is coming in, uh, plus all the government wants to do is reduce civil service staffing numbers back to where they were in 2016, mm. which doesn't seem unreasonable. I mean, the civil service has exploded by 91,000. The country's broke. Go figure. <laughs> 91,000 more people yeah, working for the My God. 2016, yeah. That's insanity. That's insanity. And also, yeah. I mean, so that's got... the level of bureaucracy Yeah, and, and it was uh, the, the, the twin factors of Brexit and the pandemic. And also we've got people in the, in the public purse. So the lawyers, for example, for the uh, people crossing the channel um, are paid by the public purse. They're paid, a lot of councils fund those, uh, fund those lawyers. Are, are, we, are we heading, Leo, for a summer of discontent? Don't know, it seems quite so nice. It's not just a summer, it's just been years of discontent. So that would be, it'd be like, in, like the winter of discontent, but, but well, we'll, we'll sort sunny. of be wearing T-shirts How can you be discontent when it's sunny? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can understand if there's like rubbish piling up in the streets, although I guess it'd smell worse in the summer. Yeah. Go off quicker. And also, I mean, things were terrible in the 70s. I mean, the economy was shot to pieces, but music was better and comedy was funnier, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, but for yeah. every cloud, there's a silver lining. But was music better? Was comedy funnier? People have this uh, rose-tinted view of the old days, but I remember the 80s, 10. TV was terrible. There was like one good show a week and it was fronted by a paedophile. So, you know, things weren't perfect. Yeah, now you put it like that. Uh, moving on and sticking with the mail, the price of petrol still fueling headlines, Leah. Yeah, so the average price of a litre of petrol at UK four courts has reached a new record of 183.2 pence. On Thursday, that's according to Experian, uh, that's an increase of just uh, of, of seven pence in just seven days. So the average cost of filling a typical 55-litre family car exceeded £100 for the first time on Wednesday. And the AA has offered some good advice to motorists. It says, uh, walk, or if you can't walk, cycle. How so, dare they? Yeah, yeah, also <laughs> well, Leo, yeah. Called Get a job, walk, cycle, um, pick you your know, own dinner. It, it yeah. makes sense. It just kind of fits with the whole green thing, though, doesn't it? It's just it's not a great surprise. Well, the, the green, uh, yeah, they green just, agenda. Well, tell me, yeah, what do you think is going on? The green, I mean, is, the green is, is agenda. A, it's like all of these things are happening, but, you know, these were predicted months ago, and it was just like, obviously, they don't want everyone driving anymore and polluting the world, so... Petrol has to become more expensive. So you expensive, think queues, so at, queues at airports, expensive. They don't petrol. want us going on holiday. They don't want us driving cars. They don't. They don't want that anymore. So these are all excuses as to why things are the way they are. So you think that petrol prices may stay high? Yeah. Hmm. Will there be a revolt at some point? Yeah. Because I don't know how <laughs> working people can manage this. Well, you know, they don't. They don't care because the environment is more important. So. Hmm. That's the, that, I mean, that's the, the ethos driving it, I would yeah. say, yeah. maybe. Well, we've obviously, as you probably know, changed the terms of your employment and uh, you'll be paid in jerry cans of diesel tonight. <laughs> um, I hide a bicycle And today. white flour. Uh, is, that, is that right? <laughs> I did for the Came first time, yeah, you. yeah. You've yeah. gone woke. Oh, I've gone woke. Miriam Elia has gone woke. Avocados for breakfast. Who knew? <laughs> Moving on to Saturday's Independent and a familiar tale of porn and parliament, Miriam. Oh, my God, this is so shocking. So, um, Parliament has blocked disclosure of MPs' porn sites visits on national security grounds. So, it's come to pass... That, OK, in 2013... Hmm. Just, just brace yourself, right? Go for it. How many times did politicians try to access porn sites 
from Parliament in 2013. Um, well, 309,316. Like, like I'm not talking about Boris Johnson's phone. What, what about... <laughs> there were 250,000 requests to access porn sites hmm. from Parliament in 2018. Can I say that That's, again? That is obscene. There were 250,000 requests to look at porn in Parliament in 2018. I mean, so a couple it of weeks fall, back... It fallen in 2018. It's back... Yeah, in, in, was it in 2018 it's gone down to 24,000? But that's still ridiculous. That's still absolutely off the scuff. A, 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 it's a workplace that's disturbing. Yes. And B, elected representatives. What are they doing? Yeah. What is that place? A den of iniquity? May I work? go a bit woke myself? Go for it. And suggest, hypothetically suggest to you... Miriam, that yeah. if you were in Parliament as a female, yeah. you wouldn't want to go into a meeting with in a select committee with male politicians that have been watching pornography. Because it, <laughs> it just might impact their attitude to you as a woman. I just don't understand why that's happening in, in an institution that is running the country, why people are doing that. It's, it's a high-stress occupation. <laughs> Do you think that's why it is? That's is why. it some kind of a release? It's a release. Literally. Or it's some kind of weird sex cult, I don't know. Or is there something about the presence <laughs> of Jacob Rees-Mogg and Wes Streeting that just makes you want to go online and knock one out? That's it. <laughs> so I, I mean, was I'm really, not going to lie, I was, I was, it does it for me. Just saying Rees-Mogg and Streeting, that presses buttons, I've got to say. It, it does, does it? Uh, in all seriousness, uh, Leo, does this reflect an epidemic of pornography consumption in modern society. Mm -hmm. I mean, possibly. People do watch a lot of porn, I guess. I mean, the trouble is 250,000 requests doesn't reflect... That's, that's not 250,000 incidents, because when you look at a porn site, you've got to look through about a million pages before you find so, something you actually so you, like. So you're saying that that could all be one or two people? That's just a few incidents. <laughs> Why have you got to look through so, just many, looking, so many? Because it's all, it's all everything. I don't know. It's homemade it's, and rubbish now. It's not, like, you know, it's not like in the old days when you paid your money at the cinema door and went in it's and sat in a seat and watched something that was properly produced and filmed. You got... Yeah, OK. It's pretty well, filthy. No wonder they were all in black masks. <laughs> who knew? Who knew? Oh, we're all disease spreaders. Oh, we're terrible. We're tainted. We're tainted. Is, is, it, is it a problem, the consumption of pornography in a professional setting, is it a problem, Miriam? Yeah, I think it is. I think it's kind of, like, slightly morally degrading, actually. Mm. I know, is that unfashionable? Am I allowed to say that? Do you think this is unique to politics, that Parliament is uniquely sleazy, or is this a wider societal it's a, trend? It's a wider societal trend, but it's, it, the fact that it's kind of in the core of our establishment that way is, is disturbing. You don't like to think that that could be happening. No, you definitely don't. Uh, well, look, uh, I'll, I'll be keeping my hands to myself for the next 40 minutes. Don't mm -hmm. worry about that. And on to Saturday's Telegraph, Joe Biden is blaming the negative press on the press, Leo. Yeah, that's right. So he appeared on uh, a talk show, I think it was uh, Jimmy Kimmel, yes, is that right? Yes, it was. Uh, yeah. Jimmy Kimmel Live, and uh, he had a go at news outlets for sensationalising his problems uh, as he insisted that his administration made a number of achievements. Uh, he didn't actually list those achievements. Um, there aren't any. But uh, he said they've done a lot of great things, but they haven't been able to communicate them. I mean, he but could have communicated what they were in this incident. 
Um, but part of that, I mean, there's a lot of problems that we know about. There's uh, soaring petrol prices, a baby formula shortage, and uh, they've got their own cost of living crisis. And voters blame a lot of this on the president because it's the president's fault. Uh, and uh, part of the reason, you know, he says they're not managed, managing to communicate these things to the public. Part of the reason for that could be that he's not doing any interviews. So he's done 23 <laughs> interviews since he took office. At the same point, Barack Obama had given 187 interviews and Donald Trump had done 95 interviews. But have you ever seen Joe Biden give an interview? Yeah, it's not it's great. It's like a senile man. Yeah, because that's what it is. He doesn't, so he's just destroying the country. Right? Yeah, well, the bottom line is somebody more competent is running the country on his behalf. Basically. And when I say competent, I don't mean good at their job. I just mean they know, like... They know what they're doing. Yeah, they're, they're compassmented. Yeah. Um, I mean, I watched a clip of that interview with Jimmy Kimmel. Mm. Now, the other Jimmy, Jimmy Fallon, was castigated by the liberal woke media in America when he did an interview with uh, Donald Trump before the first election that Donald Trump won. And right. do you remember this, that Jimmy Fallon said, can I just try your hair? Because everyone's curious if it's yeah. real or not. And yeah. Donald Trump said, sure, you know, yeah. fiddle with my hair. Yeah. So what happened is that uh, Jimmy Fallon, like, fiddled with uh, Donald Trump. Trump's hair. Everyone laughed, went to a viral clip, and Trump won the election. And lots on the left said that Jimmy Fallon facilitated, was an enabler <laughs> of Donald Trump because he humanised Donald Trump by joking yeah. about his hair. And it was particularly that moment where he ruffled his hair the whole of America suddenly kind of thought, yeah, we like Yeah, we, like we love Trump. this guy. But Donald Trump is human. I think a lot of people yeah. knew he was already human and yeah, not, not an antelope. No, but I guess it made him more likeable <laughs> and, and therefore the left were furious with Fallon for doing this, even though, ironically, Fallon's a lefty himself. Right. I would put it now in terms of Jimmy Kimmel. Right. I think Jimmy Kimmel has been an enabler of an inept and senile president with this interview yeah. because he was so sycophantic. He didn't ask him any hard questions at all. Mm. And at one point, Joe Biden went through, went through a sentence which didn't have a conclusion. <laughs> and all, all Kimmel could say was, it's fantastic what you just said is so fantastic. Mm. It's a sycophant. Yeah. I wonder how much he gets paid for that. About $10 million a year. <laughs> just tell me I'm wonderful. And two, two jerry cans of diesel. Yeah, I yeah. think they're all... Uh... But I mean, look, just briefly, Leo, this is an example of how left-wing mainstream media is in America. Mm. Yeah, but, although, I mean, to be fair, apparently Joe Biden came across well on the show. He was getting laughs. Yeah, but so it was like was, the world's softest well. interview. No, they said, they, said they, they pushed him on, uh, challenged him on gun control, abortion, uh, and why the White House's messaging isn't getting through to, to normal people. So, um, so, yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't just a, it wasn't a, a loving uh, by, any, by any means. Yeah, but don't you think Donald Trump would have got a harder time from Jimmy Kimmel than old Biden did? Yeah, absolutely. And Donald Trump would have done better. But Donald Trump is, first and foremost, a TV star. He's not, uh, you know, he went to, he's like, like a Ronald Reagan. Welcome back to Headliners with me, Mark Dolan. A first look at tomorrow's papers tonight in the company of the brilliant comedians Miriam Elia and Leo Kurse. Now, Saturday's Metro and a story about tax and candy. What's this about, Miriam? So there's a tax scam investigation into these uh, strange American candy stores that are taking over central London premier shopping districts. Um, and they are basically not paying any taxes or business rates. Um, they owe about 5.4 million, and they're really, really tacky. So really, it's about a war on tackiness. And 
without uh, wanting to sound like a nanny state yeah. uh, advocate, yeah. they are selling really, really unhealthy food, aren't they? They really are. Because um, it, it's, it's American, <laughs> imported American sweets. American sweets are even worse than ours, aren't they? Yeah, they, they're just... I think uh, apparently they found loads of counterfeit goods as well and fake brands okay. and, and just... Yeah, um, and things like high fructose corn syrup all rather this than stuff. sugar. But what's really sad... I don't sad, think the story is that sweet shops sell unhealthy food. I mean, that's no big surprise. But they're taking over things like the old HMV on Oxford Street, which was fabulous. Like, all these iconic buildings are becoming... It's a bit like the corpse of the... Of of, of, of industry, of the economy, you know, like yeah. the lockdown came and everything died and now the weird disease that's growing on the corpse is a candy sh shop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not exactly progress, <laughs> is it? <laughs> it doesn't feel like progress with, with no. you know, after two years of a pandemic where we learnt that being overweight and unhealthy is very, very bad for you, uh, that we just see, a, a you know, a preponderance of fast food outlets and now these sweet shops. Yeah, there's yeah. been fast food for, for decades. I think in 100 years' time, people will be nostalgic. They'll be, they'll be talking about, oh, the we have these days. American candy shops. I mean, they'll be saying it in Chinese because <laughs> we'll all be speaking Chinese by then. But yeah, I always wondered how... I mean, there's, a, there's an actual... The issue is that these shops are getting set up as a tax dodge. So yeah. the building doesn't want to pay business rates. Yeah. So it gets one of these shops in, uh, and then they don't need to pay. Um, they get like a cut in the business rates because it's not empty or something. I don't know how how it works. They, they start... And then the shop itself doesn't pay business rates, so the, the the building doesn't have to pay empty empty building tax. And then they get the shop in, and the shop folds after a year. Doesn't pay its business rates, and nobody pays any money. Oh, I and some see. people so, buy mm. some M and M's for uh, about eight pounds for a little pack. So it's not they don't really sell many sweets at all. No, it's yeah. a scam. And they used to do this, and uh, when I worked for the police, um, they were doing this in south of London with, I think, uh, nail salons. Because uh, I noticed there was like a nail every second shop was a nail salon, but it was money laundering for um, for drug gangs. Really. Blimey. So, yeah. I mean, this is, this is something different. This is a well, tax And nails for drug gangs. Yeah. I guess nails would be handy for drugs. <laughs> well, in that case, this, this was a complete waste of money. OK. <laughs> Who knew? Well, moving on now to Saturday's Mail and a story about a Randy Neanderthal that's apparently behind many COVID deaths. Yeah. Yeah, don't worry. He's not on, on, on the loose in uh, Wolverhampton. Uh, so this is, this is from ages ago. So a single Neanderthal, maybe to blame for transmitting a genetic quirk, uh, the, to up to a million of people, a million people who died from COVID last right. year. So around six, 6.3 million people have died from coronavirus so far. And a huge number of them, up to a million of them, lost their lives because they have a relatively common genetic quirk, which makes the lungs more susceptible to infection. And this has been traced back, this genetic quirk that caused these people to die has been traced all the way back to one uh, woman who had sex with a Neanderthal. So she's, she's a, a human, she's a homo, homo sapiens, are we? I think we're homo sapiens. And, uh, well, I'm not sure about all of this, but yeah, she, uh, she was a homo sapiens, but she You're saw- You're homo erotica, I think. Yeah. <laughs> she saw, she saw uh, a Neanderthal oh. and she thought, I'll have a bit of that. So it's all a woman's fault, really, uh, not Yeah, 100% a woman's well, fault. Well, can I be honest with you? It, it, there are sort of female Neanderthals as well, aren't there? I mean, Mrs. Dolan has a heavy brow. Right. <laughs> Well, some of us have up She's to... got a strong jaw as well. Some of us have up to 5% Neanderthal DNA. Have apparently. you taken one of Mrs. those? Mrs Dolan's on about 80%. I've, I've got a low brow as well. But yeah. apparently Neanderthals weren't the idiots, you know, the, the thugs 
No. Of, uh, no. Apparently, we are the more That's violent. That's the end of phobia. Yeah, yeah. We're the more. <laughs> and they were obviously. They must have <laughs> the been pretty, pretty hot as well, by the sounds of it. I Marianne. think. Yeah, they were hairy and Mediterranean-looking, and like Tom Jones. Like Tom Jones. <laughs> perhaps, they they like gold. They had a lot of gold. Yeah. I don't know. Perhaps Tom Jones is, in in a good way, an unevolved man. An unevolved yeah. man. Yeah. Absolutely. But anyway, yeah. so we can blame COVID on that then mm. and move on from it. Would you? Uh, would you? Um, no, Do you invite a Neanderthal into your uh, no. into your lair? No. If, if I'm Neanderthalophobic. <laughs> Leo? If she shaved. If they were here legally? I think but, I'm I mean, partly. A Neanderthal woman would have a hard time keeping up with modern beauty standards with all the waxing and it's the true. eyebrow tinting. We'd start something you know? new. Yeah. And off to Harley Street to, to shave down that brow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't work for Mrs Dolan, but look, nobody's perfect. It's all about personality, let's be honest. Tomorrow's Guardian now and a story about our genetic structure and chromosomes, Miriam. So, one in 500 men carry an extra X chromosome um, that basically puts them at risk of being fat and slobby and dying of weird things. Um, mm. And it's a lot more common than we thought. Um, so, research on more than 200,000 men enrolled with the UK Biobank suggests that one in 500 have an extra X or an X or Y. Um, uh, yeah, so the main diseases that would could happen to you are blocked blood vessels, pulmonary heart disease, lung conditions, all of that. So a lot of people are walking around with an extra chromosome and they don't even know it, and that's mm. why they're sick. It's a, quite similar to the Neanderthal, Neanderthal story. Thing, yeah. Leo, have you so, counted your chromosomes recently? No, I haven't, but I am Scottish. So, I mean, it is basically just describing the life of a Scottish man. <laughs> It's true. We've all got an extra X. Also, it, it affects women as well. There's uh, some women with with that, with an, another extra X. Oh um, it's just seen as a, as a really uh, terrible thing. It's not great. But then, as Elton John once said, we're all dying of something. Mm. Did he say that? Yeah. Right. It's very true, actually. Yeah. We're all very, very Ill. philosophical. Yeah. Um, and on that uh, gloomy note, let's <laughs> move on to something far more cheery. Saturday's Independent and a story about racism at drama school, Leo. Oh, right. I was wondering <laughs> if I had the right story there. Uh, yes. Racism at drama school? <laughs> yeah. So this is uh, yet more example of uh, savage and severe racism inside the UK's top drama schools. Uh, so uh, Guildhall, which is a drama school in the UK, has made an official apology to Papa Esiedu and Michaela Cole for the appalling and unacceptable racism they experienced while studying there. And uh, so this, I mean, some of the racism, um, this, was in, this was revealed in an interview in 2020. So they were, they were doing a makeup class where a white teacher didn't know how to paint bruises <gasps> dark enough to show up on a black person's skin. Uh, which doesn't sound that racist, but the other incident was uh, was pretty shocking. So they were doing a, a sort of role-playing game um, where there were prison prisoners and the uh, teacher was the officer and she called him the N-word, <gasps> which, Not I mean... Good. Not good. Yeah, that's... Uh, even I... in 1980, people surely knew that you can't do that. His excuse was, oh, look, I was, just, I was in the role, you know, we're, we're playing the people. Yeah. Uh, but, no, you're, so you're in a classroom. So if someone was playing a Nazi and, they, and I was playing a Jew and I was an actor and they were an actor and mm. they went, Jordan Ross, Jordan Ross, would they... That, then they would be anti-Semitic then? No. Uh, 
No, there's a differentiation between mm. art and life. If you're playing an evil character, you have to do evil things. But this wasn't, this wasn't in a film. This wasn't, they weren't following a script. This was an improvised class. And this is in a, in a learning environment. This is I, in a school, I, I, in I, a I, deeply racist school called Guildhall <laughs> Drama School, which this sounds... should be closed down. I mean, look, it's, it's not great what happened, is it? But, I mean, we're living now, aren't we, in a sea of apologies. We're apologising yeah. for everything. I feel like it's more of a kind of, uh, again, the, they want to apologise. It's a kind of power trip in a, mm. in a really strange way to admit that you're racist. So it's a virtue signal again. Yeah, so there's two power plays going on. There's the students having a power play because then they get the apology and they get to be, you know, respected. And then there's the, the real one is, is the institution which is kind of, it's a bit of a, like a religious thing, isn't it? Like to, to, to kind of, you know, castigate yourself and say, oh, yes, I am, and we're awful, we're all racist. And they need to find the story to sort of fit that apology. So this kind of gives them the... the, the... That was quite well acted, by the way. Oh, well, it's Did you go the... to Guildhall? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't go to Guildhall. Uh, I don't, too anti-Semitic. It's, it's probably too anti-Semitic. <laughs> No, they love that stuff there. At Guildhall Drama School, they love racism. They love it, don't they? I don't think they do. I think this is all a pantomime. No, they do. They used the, they used the N-word. And they didn't have the Am right I makeup brushes for... Sorry? They didn't have the right makeup brushes for black people or something. See, again, that to so, me is an inept makeup artist. It's not an act of... I think it's a racist one. <laughs> racist makeup. OK, now, fair enough. Now, of course... Uh, Almost all of what you'll see on Headliners is done with a light touch and with some humour. <laughs> Two top comedians. And I'm happy to confirm that the Guildhall Drama School are not racist and don't believe it to be a good thing. They, they just said they're racist. They admitted that they're racist. Well, they're not racist now. Because they apologise. they've apologised for previous racism. I think the fact... And I think it's very important to clear that up because <laughs> I'm not ruling out a career as an actor. I, I still haven't got my Oscar. If you send your children to Guildhall Drama School, they're going to come out fully-fledged members of the KKK. That is exactly what's going to happen. I can't wait for that clip that to go really out. Is that really true? Without context. Um, <laughs> moving on now, and uh, Saturday's Guardian with a story about a four-day working week. Miriam. So, they're now saying that the four-day week could be a new thing for British workers. Um, there's a new campaign that's come on over after COVID where everyone was working from home. And they're trying to sort of campaign for the fact that it's better for us to just, you know, do a Monday to... No, Tuesday to Friday is what they're saying. So that you can go out on Sunday, get pissed and stay in bed on Monday. Well, yeah, that's the point. But if we're, that... we're going to do the four-day week, the day off's got to be Wednesday, hasn't it? It's got to be Wednesday, but they're using the whole... Wednesday. They're using the whole kind of, oh, the whole, everything is a construct, gender's a construct, the working week is a construct, so there's only, so everything is a... Is the government is a construct. We don't have to, we don't have to, civil servants don't so have to actually fulfil government I mean, policy anymore. I, I think it's frankly kind of lazy, and I think that, you know, we're in a position now where we're skint. Oh, we need to be working more. Yeah. And We've productivity, just spent two years. Mm, go on. We've just spent two years sitting on our ass at home being paid to do much less than we used to do. And now is the time to actually, you know, really get stuck in. But this is this is very uh this is well, the giving in us back, I think. I think. But they're saying that with some companies that have done it, it's been a success. I don't know. Leah? I think work well, from home, you're having it once a week? Yeah, I pretty much do work from home. I do all my writing. 
and stuff. I do that at all. That's where you spin the gold. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I mean, look, harsh words there from Miriam about, about many people who, who do work from home, that they're lazy. No, they're... no, no. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that having a four day week and having a three day kind mm. of recreation time is not good right now. I'm not the, saying. The good thing about working from home is, that... is you can Google porn and nobody does a freedom of information <laughs> request. I'm Mark Dolan. Welcome back to Headliners. A first look at tomorrow's papers tonight in the company of the hugely talented Miriam Elia and the marvellous Leo Kurse. Saturday's Guardian and is Boris Johnson a good role model for our kids, Leo? Well, somebody says he's not. So the government's social mobility tsar... Czar uh, has said that she Should we give up think... these Russian titles, by the way? <laughs> well, what if we change pronunciation? We change, we change pronunciation of, uh, of Kiev. Yeah, like from Kiev. from Kiev. I still miss so Kiev. Change Tsar to some Tsar. See, I don't Ukrainian. Fancy, I don't fancy Tsarina eating. Catherine. I don't want to eat chicken Kiev, by the way. I don't want to eat chicken Kiev. I want to eat chicken Kiev. Am I allowed to keep Kiev just for snacks? You Putin apologist. <laughs> it's bad, isn't it? That is, yeah, no, genuinely. Look, I, I detest the war in Ukraine, but I just would like to keep Kiev if that's all right. I, uh, <laughs> I eat chicken free Crimea. That's what I eat, because <laughs> my pants go in the right way round. But yeah, anyway, getting back to the story, the government's social mobility tsar has said she does not think that Boris Johnson is a good role model for, for children. Although he's a perfect role model for, like, toddlers. They basically <laughs> look like Boris Johnson, sort of chubby, rolling around, having a good time, uh, telling lies sometimes. But yeah, this is uh, Catherine Burble's thing. So um, she says that uh, she likes the Prime Minister, but doesn't think he's professional enough uh, adding that his personal life makes her raise an eyebrow. Mm. Um, I don't know, I think, you know, Boris, it's looking like we're entering the sort of final straits of Boris's uh, prime ministership. Yeah. And I think history will reappraise him. He's done some He's done some good things. He's sorted out, you know, Brexit, you know, and although I mean, he sort of caused it as, as well, yeah. which, you know, some people might not like. Uh, but with lockdown, he, he led Britain and he led Europe out of lockdown. We, we would still be in lockdown if we had a Labour government. And yeah. uh, with Ukraine, he's, he's stood up for Ukraine, he's delivered, you know, incredible strength and support. He, he's a national hero Europe. in Ukraine now. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. As, as Tony Blair was in, uh, in I think, um, uh, Bosnia, wherever, you know, they were, they were getting bombed. Yeah. It's, it's more about his private life, though, isn't it? It's like multiple children by different partners at different mm. points. There's no real um, consistency to his life. Lots of bullying going on. Bullying? This is what's kind of coming out about his personal life. But I'm not really sure whether... So he, that's why he's not... That's why she's saying he's not a good role model for kids. Uh, he's got a kind of point in that. I suppose. Does it matter? Do we need Does a prime matter? minister that has the morals of the Archbishop of Canterbury? Not really, no. Better ones than that, hopefully. You know, I, I mean, if they're going to be a Christian, if they're going to be the Archbishop of Canterbury, at least try and be a Christian. <laughs> like, I'm not even Christian, and I'm more Christian than the Archbishop of Canterbury. Maybe, maybe keep the churches open during a pandemic, that kind of thing. Yeah. It wouldn't be too bad, would yeah. it? Yeah, maybe, maybe support some Christian values and let Christians ah. be, uh, be priests mm. instead of uh, making them be... making. The, banning them for having Christian values. I like uh, Calvin, Calvin yeah. Robinson. Yeah, well said. Couldn't agree more. Amen to that. You see what I did there? Hallelujah. <laughs> this show isn't ain't, just thrown together. Amen you know? to that, <laughs> as, uh, as the Archbishop of Canterbury would say. Uh, Saturday's Mail Next. And are our search engines secretly biased, Miriam? Well, um, is Google biased to the left? So this came out in the Daily Mail. Uh, there is kind of quite a lot of evidence to show that the kind of top 
searches that come up under anything that you Google are skewed towards a left-wing bias. So, for example, um, on Boris Johnson, I think the first 38 uh, articles that came up were all negative. Um, although I kind of agree with them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, uh, you know, so basically people are, are sort of challenging this concept of the, the truth coming through Google. You know, when you Google yeah. something or you... YouTube something that you're only seeing a kind of curated set of results that has a political leaning to get you to see a subject in a certain mm. way and that needs to be questioned, perhaps have more balance, although people don't like that word. Anymore. Well, no, I mean, I think in this, uh, they did this sort of looked at the number of searches that came up. You were offered multiple articles by The Guardian, mm. but a handful from the Mail Online, yeah. which happens to me to be the most read English yeah. language newspaper in the yeah. world. There's kind of a suppression of what the vast majority of people are looking at, isn't yeah. it? Because it's, it's kind of putting a one. And also, even in the Google banners and stuff, you know, they always have these illustrations to kind of push whatever idea that they're mm. going with. Um, I think that, yeah, that needs to be in some way kind of democratised and, and, and thought through a bit more. It yeah. does feel very ideologically driven, most of it. Right. All the time. What, what, what do you think? Is, is, uh, you know, is Google politically biased? Well, all these big tech companies hide behind algorithms and hide their bias. They do, they do have bias. I mean, it's, it'd be a joke to imagine that Twitter or Google or any, any big tech company that's got its own political agenda doesn't dish out search results you know, according to its own bias. Um, so they've, they've all got a bias, but it's not clear. And I think what we need is clarity. If I'm being served something with a bias, I at least need to know. When I read the Daily Mail, I know it's got a bias. Same with The Guardian, I know the bias, so I can, I can filter it. It's yes. contextualised. Uh, so Nadine Dorries, uh, the Culture Secretary, is introducing an online safety bill, which part of that will, uh, you know, remove uh, or, or at least make uh, tech companies open up, open up their, their algorithms and, uh, and say. But unfortunately, the, the online safety bill introduces a whole bunch of other things. Right. Um, it ends net neutrality. It's gonna, it's gonna mean the government gets to decide what, what's That's disinformation and who's a journalist. Mm. And uh, ends private messaging, ends, ends oh. private browsing of porn, which will see a, a collapse in the number of search results in Parliament, I guess. That's one thing, they might get some work done. Saturday's Telegraph next with a story about the biggest shipwreck since the Mary Rose. Leo. Yes, the wreck of HMS Gloucester, which sank off Norfolk in 1682, has been uncovered by amateur divers. So it laid undiscovered in the Norfolk sandbanks for hundreds of years uh, since sinking during a maritime disaster that almost killed the heir to the throne, but he escaped and made it to land. So it, it ran aground uh, while carrying the future King James II, a Catholic heir poised to inherit the Protestant throne from King J Charles II at a moment of acute political and religious crisis in Britain. Sounds like 2022 all over again. <laughs> uh, and two brothers, Julian and Lincoln Barnwell, found the warship after spending four years combing thousands of miles of seabed dressed as, uh, as, as if they're delivering uh, a, box of, uh, a box of black magic. Or was it milk tree? I can't remember. Milk tree. Milk tree. Uh, and they, yeah, they basically found it after it's looking kind of for amazing. it for ages. But so well they, done them. They've hidden the coordinates as to where it is because they don't want anyone coming to find the treasure. Oh, yeah, kept secret and for 10 years. And find the secret treasure. Yeah. And it's Whoa. printed. <laughs> I'd love to do that. It's printed on a map that's held in... Uh, with an X. In, with an X. <laughs> Love it. And uh, crusty crabs. 
<laughs> locker. I saw it on an episode of SpongeBob. But yeah, that's that's amazing. So they wanted to, you know, make sure the the government or you know museums or archaeologists could yeah. get all the yeah. stuff. So they, they kept it secret. Okay, mm. Captain Pugwash, eat your heart out. I'd be there on a dinghy. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you talking. That brings brings several stories together. <laughs> yeah. I guess some spare ones. <laughs> yeah, probably some spare ones on the beach at Dover. Start a business refurbishing them. Do it. And throw in a uh, Neanderthal man and knock yourself out. Now, Saturday's Daily Mail next with a shocking revelation that meat might actually be good for you, Leo. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is uh, The Great Plant-Based Con by Jane Buxton. This is, this is a great article. I recommend everybody read it. And you can read it for free because it's on the Daily Mail. Uh, but basically, uh, she's writing about how uh, vegan diets uh, aren't actually that good and there's a lot of doubt as yep. to whether meat is as bad for you as has been been told. You know, we're told oh, it's full of saturated fat and all this sort of bad stuff. Turns out, you know, a lot of the fats and meat, you need them. And uh, she, the first couple of paragraphs just <laughs> sum this up. So Jane Buxton's son was uh, working in a central London delicatessen and a customer who had ordered a coconut milk latte announced that she used to be a vegan. Uh, it was the best diet, she said. I felt so great on it. So Buxton's son asked why she was no longer vegan and she replied, oh well, my hair and nails started to fall out, so I had to stop. <laughs> So he asked whether this might be a sign that maybe the diet wasn't as healthy as she thought it was. And the woman said, oh no, she insisted, it's a really, really healthy diet. I felt incredible. Just hairless and without fingernails, but yeah. felt incredible. Yeah, that's it. And also, um, I think that, that this lady, this uh, author, lays to rest the myth that farming is causing global warming. Right, the yeah. connection between the consumption of meat and rising planet temperatures not, is, uh, you know, is something that can be debated. Yeah. Everything can be debated. Mm. Yeah. I don't know, the whole veganism thing, it's more about the empathy with animals, isn't it, than about what's Well, it, yeah, I think it used to be, and now it's about saving the planet. For me, that's the new narrative, that's the new argument. I, it also ties into the we're all a, a disease thing, you know, like mm. humans are a disease on the planet. It's quite misanthropic. And yeah. It's about viewing nature as essentially kind of above man. Mm. So, you know, animals will have more rights than humans because we're yeah. all awful and evil and fat and free. And also, <laughs> being, being conspiratorial um, as well, I wonder whether this push to get people to be plant-based weakens the population. Of course it does. Um, so does, you know, locking them in their house for six months. In fact, everything that we're being told to do weakens us and we shouldn't be doing it. Well, yes, an example of the weak... <laughs> and, and we've evolved for, you know, for time immemorial eating meat and that's kept us healthy. Don't think you should eat too much meat. I do agree with that. Mm. Everything in moderation. But um, to say that you should totally rule out whole food groups is... A lot of these stories insane. seem to pop up in The Guardian. Um, the Guardian running a story this week that two portions of... Fish a week gives you skin cancer or is linked to skin cancer. It feels like a campaign to me, Leo. Is that if you rub the fish on? Yeah, of... Well, exactly. It's amazing how... The, so, oh, yeah, everyone knows that just... fish is you know, famously yeah. good for you? Yes, fish is very, very good for you. Yeah, mm. omega-3. It's brilliant for your brain, for children, for their brain development. There you go, see? So, yeah, give them some fish and meat, for God's sake. That would do it. You've had a bit too much red meat tonight by the looks of it. Oh, I loved it. One ribeye too many. <laughs> Saturday's Independent Next and a story about a black hole that's roaming our galaxy, Miriam. Yeah, apparently there's like a free-floating black hole that's just kind of zooming about um, through the galaxy at 100,000 miles per hour. I'm not really sure what it's doing, though. Um, apparently, so when a large star collapses, it leaves a kind of black hole, you know? Mm. Bit like Hollywood, 
But do you think we should sort out the cost of living crisis before we worry about this black hole? Leader? No, I think we should. Well, I think it's a different thing. I think they're separate, separate things that aren't really order, so order of magnitude. Astronomers aren't going to be setting up things to deal with the cost of living crisis <laughs> and so, securing energy resources and investment in North Sea gas and oil. Uh, but yeah, this is uh, so. Apparently, there's like all these black black holes. Scientists know that they're there because every time a star collapses, uh, apparently it creates one of these black holes. They know that they're there. They can't see them because I guess they're black holes. They're very hard to spot against right. the, the sky. And uh, they've, they've now started finding them. And the nearest one is less than 80 light years away, which in you know, terms of galaxies and stuff is pretty close. How, how, well, how close is it in relation to Birmingham? That's what I want to know. <laughs> uh, Miriam, a quick word, just a couple of seconds. Yeah. Uh, this is in the Daily Star. Jurassic Park could become a reality. What could possibly go wrong? Uh, yes, yeah, so... Um, Hang out with the dinosaurs. This, this really shocked me. Um, scientists want to build a real-life Jurassic Park. Um, I mean, we're quite a way off. I think this is all just, you know... You know those scientists, what they're going to say next week, eh? Um, they are talking about going to Russia and bringing back... Um, Putin? Putin. <laughs> there's, a, there's a dinosaur. They're basically saying that they have, you know, all this DNA that they can now sample and create. Oh, sounds sounds disgusting. I mean... All this DNA sounds like Parliament. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment. Speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring.